reading of God's word. Mordecai has just learned that an, uh, a law has been passed um, that all the Jews are going to be killed. And this is where our scripture picks up. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province in which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to, her, to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they may be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning we're continuing our series on real transformers. And we talked about Noah and how he walked with God and how he obeyed God. And he was the only one righteous in all of his, um, in all of humanity. And God saw him and used him to save us all uh, by building the ark, even though people thought he was crazy. Um, but he was righteous because he was walking with God and obeying God. And then last week we looked at Josiah, King Josiah who was king at age eight, um, so much responsibility on him, and he was able um, for his, his lifetime to turn the Titanic and create a revival among uh, the Jews. Um, and it didn't matter his age. It didn't matter, um, it didn't matter that at all. And so this morning we get to Esther. I want you to do something for me. I want you to finish a statement for me, okay? 
I'm glad you are here. You were in the right place at the right Very good. Nice. Either we've said this phrase or we've heard it, but it implies that you were or that we were in a, um, a certain place at a certain time for a certain purpose. Maybe you're riding down the road at just the right time and so that you could pull over and help somebody with a flat tire. Maybe you're in the checkout aisle behind someone who forgot to pick up their wallet or their purse before they left the house and you were able to pay for their grocery bill. Perhaps you were standing at a crosswalk ready to head the other side and uh, the street when someone in front of you began to go but they didn't see the car that just ran the red light and you were able to snatch them back. You see, being at the right place at the right time implies that we were at that moment for a purpose. And it is a, it's an awesome feeling knowing that you were able to do something that no one else could do. If you were at the right place at the right time, then you were meant for that purpose and no one else. When those moments come in life, there is no better feeling. Yet what if, what if, we are at the right place at the right time for a certain purpose, but we know that if we jump into action, the odds are high that we're going to deal with negative consequences for ourselves. What if we jump in at the right time at the right place for a certain purpose, but if we, if we, if we go into action, it's going to hurt us. High probability it's going to hurt us. For instance, what if the person with a flat tire was a known drug dealer in town. And by you stopping and helping them change that tire, somebody else who knows you drives by. And then rumors begin to fly around that, hey, you're doing drugs. What if by helping to pay the grocery bill for the person behind you who had no wallet or money, suddenly you were unable to pay for your groceries? And what if by pulling back that pedestrian at the crosswalk, there was a greater likelihood that you would be hit by that car. What if? Would you still reach out and pull them back? It's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? If you knew that your purpose in life was staring you in the face, yet your reputation, your security, your life was on the line, would you act? Would you do it? I think if we're honest with ourselves, our first reaction would be no. Our gut reaction would be heck no. That, and that's what Esther's response was. When faced with her purpose in life, Esther hesitated. She was unsure. She knew the potential consequences for stepping up to the plate and living out her purpose. She knew that her life would be in danger. Yet despite the consequences, Esther steps up. She lives into her godly purpose. You see, the story of Esther challenges us to really think about what is our purpose in life. I can't help but think about a man uh, by the name of Raphael Lozano. Uh, great name. Ra Raphael was on a mission. A strange one, but he was on a mission. Back in 2005, this 33-year-old computer programmer from Plano, Texas, was on a quest to visit every company-owned Starbucks on the planet. 
He began his mission in 1997 when there was a little over 1,000 Starbucks stores worldwide. In 2005, the company had expanded to 6,000 stores in 37 countries. As of October 31st, 2005, Raphael had visited 4,918 Starbucks in North America, in addition to 213 others around the globe. Despite his impressive pace, Raphael was realistic about the nature of his quest, saying, as long as they keep building Starbucks, I'll never be finished. He was also re realistic about the importance of his mission. He says, every time I reach a Starbucks, I feel like I've accomplished something. He said, when actually I've accomplished nothing. I want to know, how many Raphaels are in the congregation this morning? I'm not talking about trying to get your hands on a triple grande sugar-free vanilla latte, although I have no idea what the heck that is. I'm talking about going through life, trying to accomplish everything, yet accomplishing nothing. And the funny thing is, some of us are just like Raphael. We know we're not accomplishing a whole lot, yet we keep going down the same road, the same path, doing the same things. You see, I believe that in life, we're always fighting between our godly purpose and our worldly purpose. I'll explain what I mean. A lot of people think that their only purpose and goal in life is to gain all the success they can, all the money in life they can, all the fun, and have all the fun they can. And that's what I call our worldly purpose. That's what the world tells us that we should be doing with this life. And if you aren't living your life with this purpose in mind that the world tells us, then you're crazy. You're nuts, like Noah. If you're not trying to climb the corporate ladder at work or you aren't hoarding all your money in some big vault, then you're missing the purpose of life. I hate to tell you, but that's not how we're supposed to meet, live this life. I don't mean you can't work hard at your job. I don't mean you can't save money. I don't, I don't mean you can't have the big house and the nice car. But when we put those things, those worldly things, uh, above honoring and serving God, then we have missed the purpose in life. Our real purpose is to serve God any and everywhere, whenever God calls us. And unfortunately, I can't tell you where that is and when that is. Because it may be anywhere at any time. But when that moment or those moments occur in life, we've got to be ready to serve. And here's the thing. When those moments happen, when the right time and the right place come together, our godly purpose and our worldly purpose, they're going to collide. They're going to butt heads. And we're going to have to make a decision. Do we seek the way of the world or do we seek the will of God? Esther faced this kind of dilemma. And Esther's story is really a fascinating one. She's a, she's a Jew living in exile under the reign of King Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes had a wife named Queen Vashti, and during a royal banquet, the king summoned for his queen, and she refused. Well, he said, forget you. I want a new queen. And so there was a search began for a new queen, and, and Esther was presented before the king, and apparently Esther was very beautiful. And the king was immediately drawn to her and took Esther as his queen. 
Now Esther had not told the king, or anyone else for that matter, that she was a Jew. Her relative father figure, Mordecai, had instructed her not to disclose her nationality, and this was probably done in order for her not to have persecution. After Esther becomes queen, Mordecai discovers a plot to assassinate the king and by his two officials, and so he tells Esther about the plot, and she tells the king, and those two officials were hung. This allows Haman, one of uh, the other king's officials, to become second in command. And under this title, Haman orders all Jews living under the king's authority to be killed. And this is where our passage and Esther's story meet up. It's here where Mordecai realizes that Esther has come face to face with her godly purpose. The right time and the right place have come together. Mordecai understands that Esther has the prime opportunity to save her people from destruction. He instructs Esther to plead with the king to save the Jews. Now, this is when Esther has that gut reaction of, heck, no, not me. She tells Mordecai that she she goes to the king without him first summoning her. Her punishment would be death. Her only saving grace would be if the king extends his golden scepter to her and spares her life. It's here where Mordecai delivers these famous words. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai is basically saying, Esther, the fate of the whole nation, the dream of God's people is in your hands. You didn't ask for it, but it's here. Esther, you have not been brought to this point in your life for the sake of accumulating a a nice wardrobe and precious gems and nice fragrances. Esther, you have not been brought to this point in your life to become the most desirable and attractive woman in the kingdom. You have not been brought to this point in your life for the reason the king thinks you have. You have been brought to this point in your life to be a part of what it is that God is doing in the life of his people, to work for justice, to save his people from annihilation, to oppose a man who is vile and evil and extremely powerful. You have been brought to this point in your life to be a part of God's plan to redeem the entire world. So Esther, don't let your position in life blind you to what God has in store for you. See, Esther could have, I mean, she's the queen. She could have stayed completely satisfied with her position in life. She had everything a woman would want. She had people at her beck and call. She had money. She had status. She had everything. But as Mordecai suggests, she was not queen in order to live a life of luxury. She was put in that position, in that place, at that time, for God's people, for God's purpose of rescuing his people. And when she realized this, she quit fighting her purpose. She tells Mordecai to ask all the Jews to to pray and to fast with her. And she says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
There's a funny story that a father tells about his child who's been studying the book of Esther in their Sunday school class, and <clears throat> he realized that the child had learned uh, at least something from the class as the child goes to eat Brussels sprouts one night, and before he ate one, he says, If I perish, I perish. But what a response from Esther. Here's a woman who could potentially lose her life. But she knew what her purpose was, and she was willing to act. Now, the odds are, we're not going to face the kind of consequences that Esther was facing. We're probably not going to face the threat of death. We may, but the odds are not there. But when we stand up for the sake of Christ and choose our godly purpose over our worldly purpose, we may face persecution in the workplace. We may lose our jobs. Our reputations may be spread, um, smeared across town. Our families could be fractured. But I believe the consequences of not serving God are greater than anything we might face serving him. Mordecai told Esther, the deliverance of the Jews, it's going to happen. I mean, Mordecai had faith. Mordecai had faith. Listen, we're going to be saved. I don't know how, but we're going to be saved. If it doesn't come from you, Esther, it was going to come from somewhere else. But if Esther didn't act, he says her and her family were going to perish. You see, we can either face the certain consequences or the unknown consequences of acting on God's purposes, or we can face the certain consequences of not acting. To me, it's a pretty easy choice. Now, I believe that God is always moving us toward our godly purpose, and you are where you are. I don't know why. Maybe you don't either, but you are where you are, and you've been given what you have been given, and you are, you are you, where you are for a reason. It may not be as dramatic as Esther, being a queen, saving a whole nation, but you have a purpose. I am sure that some of us have felt like Esther at some point in our lives. In fact, it may feel, you may feel like that right now. You might be in one of those moments right now where you're being put in the right place for the right time for a specific godly purpose. And you may be resisting it just like Esther was, like many before her and many after her. You may be torn between what your worldly purpose is and what your godly purpose is. You know, most of the time, these godly moments, these moments where God puts us at the right time at the right place, they surprise us. We're not expecting them. Esther wasn't expecting to be queen and to have to stand up to the king. And many times we aren't expecting the godly moments that come our way. We're not expecting to be asked to help someone who's in need. We aren't expecting to, be, to help uh, lead a small group or a Sunday school class. We aren't expecting to have to share our testimony, to explain our faith, to talk to someone about Christ. We aren't expecting to be God's agent of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. But nonetheless, we are. We are, we are put in these godly moments to be transformers, to transform lives. And we really shouldn't be surprised. We should expect it all the time. We are called to serve him and to walk with him all the time, every day, every moment. And so we shouldn't be surprised. 
But here's the thing. If we try to be in the right place at the right time to, and to act in these godly moments in our own strength, we are going to fail. We're going to fail every time. When faced with these moments and when given the choice based on our own strength and our own desires, we'll always give in to our worldly purpose over our godly, godly purpose. But here's the good news. Jesus understands exactly what you're going through. As we come to the table, to, to Christ's table this morning, I can't help but think of how Christ dealt with the tension of living out his worldly purpose versus his godly one. Because I tell you, I think Jesus was presented with countless opportunities to live his worldly purpose over his godly one. The people were expecting a warrior Messiah, someone who would overthrow the Roman government. If the world has his way, Jesus could have easily been a Messiah without suffering. A New Testament scholar named F.F. Bruce wrote this. He said, time and time again, the temptation came to Jesus from many directions to choose some less costly way of fulfilling his calling than the way of suffering and death, but he resisted it. Jesus resisted his worldly purpose to the end. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in the desert, Satan comes to him and says, you can be Messiah without hunger. Just turn these stones into bread. He says, you can be Messiah without pain. Throw yourself off this building and the, the, the angels, they'll come and rescue you. You can be Messiah without opposition. Bow before me and all the kingdoms of this earth will be yours. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That is not my purpose. Later on, when he tells the disciples that he will have to suffer and die, Peter pulls him aside. He says, don't say that. Don't talk that way. That's not going to happen. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. And Jesus says, that's not my purpose. Jesus wrestles with his worldly purpose all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane as he agonizes in prayer. Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He says, I'd rather not suffer, but I will. I will embrace the mission of the cross. Esther and Jesus knew something. They knew that our lives are a part of something much bigger and grander than just our 8 to 5, 9 to 5 work week or what's in our bank account or, or the amount of stuff that we have. We are a part of something much bigger, a much bigger purpose, a much bigger story. We are a part of God's purpose and God's story. And we see this all throughout the book of Esther. Do you know that Esther is the only book in the Old Testament that doesn't mention the word God? You won't find it. It's the only book. And I think that's for a reason. I think it's because, as is often the case in our lives, God is just off stage. You can't see him, yet he's the main character in the story. He's the main character. He's the director. He's the author. And even though God is never mentioned, the writer of Esther makes sure we are perfectly aware of God's active role in Esther's lives and, our, and, our, and in ours as well. How is it that of all the women in the empire, a Jewish girl named Esther is the one that becomes queen? That of all the people in the empire, Mordecai is the one who saves the king from assassination. 
Later in the story, Haman builds gallows in order to hang Mordecai, yet Mordecai is later named as Haman's replacement, and Haman is the one that ends up in those gallows. How does Haman, the scheming murderer, become the victim of his own schemes? How does Mordecai, his attendant victim, become his replacement? How is it that the people who mark the Jews for destruction are instead destroyed themselves? The writer wants us to understand that God is present. Even in exile with no Jerusalem, no temple, no Sanhedrin, God is present. Even in the unseen, the unknown, the unnamed, God is present. Even in unlikely ways, in mangers and in crosses, carpools and cubicles, God is present. God is at work. I don't know where each of you are in in life. I can't tell you what God's purpose, what purpose God is leading you towards. But what I can tell you is that God is present and at work in your life. God has put you and is putting you in places and in moments where you can live out your godly purpose. Don't you want to hear someone say to you, man, I'm glad you are here. You were at the right place at the right time. Don't you want God to be able to say that to you? Who knows, maybe... You've come to this place and to this moment in your life for such a time as this. May we always be open to God putting us where he needs us to be. Amen.